0: Good morning. Hey, if you're new to us today or new with us or you haven't been here in a while, uh, we are currently on a 10 year journey through the book of Ephesians. (laughs) And I'll tell you why I say that because six weeks ago, Pastor Dan asked me if I would speak today and that we would be in the book of Ephesians. And I said, okay, great. So I like to get ahead a little bit. So. So I did the standard, you know, 14 verse thing, you know, 14, worked through the chapter of Ephesians, and I ended up in chapter 4. So I went ahead, and I, listen, if you want to know about chapter 4 of Ephesians, I got that one down really well. So so, so I had that down really well, and then he gave his first message on Ephesians, and he did two words. You remember what those were? Grace and peace. That's right, they do listen. Grace and peace. And then he did the next week, and he did, like, one or two verses. And I'm like, okay, maybe we're in chapter 3, you know? So I backed it up a little bit, and I started studying that. And then he did another couple of verses, and then Pastor Adam came in, and he said, I'm really going to blow the doors off this thing, Pete. I got this. I'm going to really, like, take this out. And he did, like, seven verses. And then last week, I'm going to my I said to myself, surely he will finish chapter 1. <laughs> Come on, there's just like four verses left, six verses left. Come on, surely he will end this thing. Put us out of our misery and move us into chapter 2, but no. He didn't make it. He didn't make it. So we're still in chapter 1. But here's my guarantee for you today. We will end chapter 1. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. So before we start, let's pray. Will you join me, Father God? Thank you so much, Lord, for for your word, Lord. Thank you for the ability to come in here and worship you and put you first. Thank you, Father God, that this is all about you, Father God. And that's our prayer today, Lord, that we would read your word and open it up and think about nothing but you, Father God. So we thank you in the mighty, mighty name of Jesus. Amen. So here's something to think back on. Can you remember who taught you how to ride a bicycle? Dad taught her. You taught her how to ride a bicycle. Yeah. Can you remember where it was? You remember exactly where it was, right? Everybody can remember that, right? That's just something that sticks in our memory, right? Can't remember? You can't remember? You still don't know how? No, you know how? No, okay. Most of us can remember though who taught us how to ride a bicycle and where it was. We can probably place it in our minds. And I didn't ask you how you learned, because we all learned the same way, didn't we? I'll bet you. Let me tell you my way and tell me if this lines up with you, right? You're sitting on your tricycle one day, hanging out with your buds, you know, you know eating some Pez, right? Whatever it is. <laughs> you know, you're just talking about stuff, and you're eating some Pez, and, and these big kids go by on these two-wheelers. Zoom. I mean, they go flying by. And you look at your friends, and you think, I want that. I want to be able to do that, Right? So then at some point, you get this bicycle, right? For me, it wasn't a new one. It was a hand-me-down, right? Which means it was way too big for you. Like, remember this? Anybody else with this, right? Way too big, right? And you got it way too big because you'll grow into it, right? That's what mom said, right? You'll grow into it eventually. But right now, you can't sit on the seat and reach the pedals. You have to stand up and sort of like do this number, right? And the seat is for downhill because when you get to the hill, then you hop up on the seat, right? and hope it ends somewhere, right? That's the way it works, right? And then somebody put those training wheels on the bike. Remember those? Those flimsy pieces of metal that you could bend with your hand, right? And they didn't quite hit the ground, so the bike was like, you were doing this number, right? Even when you were standing still, right? And then somebody got behind you, somebody you trusted, right? Not your big brother, because he'd let you fall, right? I mean, I am the big brother, but I would never let that happen. But I hear that's what he was So so somebody you trust hangs onto the back seat, and they go running with you, right, as you start pedaling, right? Am I right here? And you're pedaling along, right? And you're going, you still got me? And they're like, I got you. You still got me? I got you. You still got me? I got you. And then about four more pedals. You still got me? (laughs) Nothing. And you look, and they've let go, and you hit the brakes and crash, Right? (laughs) And you stand up and you're mad now. You're like, why'd you let go? And they said, you have it. You were going. Why'd you stop? But we stop. That's what gets us into trouble. And then pretty soon you do have it, don't you? Pretty soon they do let go and you got it. And now you don't want anybody hanging on. Because now you're cruising with your buds. You've all graduated from the tricycle. You put the pez away. You're moving on. So you're pedaling now, but you still got the training wheels on, right? Because you're just not quite sure. And then pretty soon you realize those look pretty stupid, so you take those off. And then you're pedaling along, and then the back wheel falls off because you did it wrong, right? Not that that ever happened to me. I just hear that's what (laughs) happens. So you're pedaling along, and then, and then pretty soon you got it. Now you're going everywhere. Now you're really pedaling, right? Now you're going downhills, uphills, up hills, through the woods. doesn't matter. Now you're an expert, right? And now you're building the ramps. Yes. You've done that. Yeah. Now you're building the ramps, and you're riding along, and you hit the ramp, and you fly over. And that's cool. And then that loses a little luster. so you get the little kids in the neighborhood to lie down underneath the ramp. Right? Yes. Yes. Because evil can evil's big, and you got to show them that you're evil. Like, watch. I don't have buses, but I got you. Lay down, right? And that works. That's great. And where do you put the youngest kid at the end, right? And that works great until you hit the kid at the end, right? Yeah, then you pedal home quick, right? And then your little brother, who always wanted to ride your bike, now you let him, right? And you say, "Go down the block a couple of ways. There's a really cool ramp." And here, wear my jacket. It's cold out. Go. Have fun. But that's what happens, right? That's how we learn to ride the bicycle. That's what it's all about. So, But the, what we really find out, though, after we look back a little bit, really, riding a bike is not that hard, is it? Really. If you just start pedaling, if you just go, if you just pedal with authority, that's the title, if you just start pedaling and go, you'll go, won't you? I mean, really, if you could get that into the heads of little kids, if you just pedal hard and go, you'll go, right? It's when they stop pedaling and hit the brakes, that's when they fall. But that's what we learn: Just pedal with authority. That's how it works. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Yes, somehow I'm going to weave this whole story into Ephesians. Who knows how? We don't know. We'll figure it out as we go along. So that's what we're going to do today, okay? We're going to talk about peddling with authority, because that's how Paul got to Ephesus. He rode his bicycle. It's in the Bible. Read about that. That's really a cool chapter. It's in chapter 4. Okay. So we are going to be in chapter 1. We're going to be in verse 18. I'm going to step back a couple of verses, but I promise you I will finish chapter 1. So here, if this is on the screen. If you don't have your Bibles, it's also on your handouts. This is what it says. It says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparable great power for those of us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is the body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So by way of recap, here's what's happening here. Paul is in prison, and he's writing this letter to the church in Ephesus, which is the major capital of the Roman Asian Empire. It's what is now the country of Turkey. It's a big city, 200,000 to 250,000 people, very large. It's got a major seaport, and it's got a major road, a trading route coming from the east, coming from the west, coming from the north. So that, that saying, all roads lead to Rome, well, all roads lead to Ephesus as well. They all come into that major city. So, it's a huge, economically uh, strong city that Paul is writing to. And in, in addition to being an economically strong city, it's also a very spiritually strong city because they have in Ephesus a temple to, to Diana, the goddess of fertility. And it's a huge temple, it's as big as an American football field. That's how big this temple is. Huge statue. And all the merchants, they're making money off of this temple because they're making these little statues of Diana, and they're selling them. And people are buying them, and they're becoming quite wealthy. They're making a lot of money. So then Paul comes in. This is where Paul gets in trouble. Paul comes in and says, hey, that's just an idol. That's not the true God. There's only one true God, and that's Jesus Christ. And people, the church in Ephesus, the people of Ephesus, not a building but the people, they start to buy into this. They believe it. They hear the truth. They accept it. And they turn away from Diana. So the merchants start to lose money. So this upsets the merchants so much, and you can read this in the book of Acts, so much that they gather together, they get all the people all riled up, and they cause a near riot. And they come and they want this to stop. They want Paul to be killed. Paul wants to go down there and talk to them. People pull him back. No, you can't do that. You're crazy. They're going to kill you. They pull him back. But it causes a near riot when Paul does this. So that's what's going on. So Paul now has been in Ephesus three times, teaching, preaching, bringing the truth of God, of Jesus Christ. And now he's arrested, now he's in prison, and now he's writing a letter to these people. And he's reminding them, and he's reminding us, of the truth. Because like any society, we get influence from the outside, We hear the truth, but then we get the outside influences. And that's what's happening here, too. So when you have a major spiritual center like Ephesus, and you hear the truth, but then you also have those existing beliefs that stack on top of it. And so it's tying together, and they're struggling. So Paul's writing back to them to say, let me reemphasize to you what is the truth. And here it is. So he starts to give it to them. So he starts off with grace and peace, Right. And then Paul brings this prayer that we just read to the church, and it's a prayer that speaks to the present state, but also theirs as well. So this is what it says, and this is the amplified version. It goes like this. For I always pray to the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, that he may grant you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the deep and intimate knowledge of him, so that you can know and understand the hope to which he has called you and how rich is his glorious inheritance in the saints. That's you. And so that you can know and understand what is the immeasurable and unlimited and surpassing greatness of his power in and for us who who believe, as demonstrated in the working of his mighty strength. So that's where Pastor Dan left off last time, talking about God's great power. And now we're into verse 20. Okay, and it says this. He exerted the power that he showed. He showed that power when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. Did you know that? Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. And now Jesus is sitting in the heavenly places, the spiritual arena, not heaven. See, we like to think of that. Oh, Jesus is up there somewhere, right? That's not what Paul's saying here. Paul's saying he's, in the, he's seated in the heavenly realms, okay, versus the, the worldly realms that we're in. See, we see our problems and our struggles and our trials and our struggles and all right here, right? I have a financial problem in my checkbook, right? I have a health problem from the doctor that he's given me. I've got a relationship problem. It's right here, right? But that's not true. It's really in the spiritual realm. So this is what it says in chapter 6 of Ephesians, which we'll get to in 2017. (laughs) It says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Here. It's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. See, we don't understand that fully. Probably never will. But here's what we do know. That Jesus sits in the heavenly realms. So, if we go back to our Bible and go way back into the Old Testament, if we go back to Exodus, where Jesus said, Hey, build me a temple, will you? While you're traveling through the desert, this is what I want you to build for me, okay? Here's the tent. Here's what I want you to use. Here's how I want it to be, okay? Here's what he uses, okay? Listen to all these things. He says, Build me an ark, build me some long poles, build me a mercy seat, build me a table. Build me uh, some gold rings, build me some dishes, some pans, some jars, some bowls, a lampstand, uh, some cups while you're at it, some bulbs, some flowers, six branches, uh, some lamps, some snuffers, some trays, some curtains, some ephods, some breastplates, some robes, some turbans, some veils, some altars, some curtains, some garments. You built all those things for me. So they went out and they built all those things for him. And they used them all except one thing. What didn't they use? All those things, what didn't they use? They never used the seat. Mercy seat wasn't used. How come? Because it wasn't finished, wasn't done yet. The seat was never used. God said, I'll sit above the seat. I'm not sitting in the seat. That wasn't done until now, until his resurrection. Then Jesus sits in authority. Why does he sit? Because it's done. Everything we do has to be done with the knowledge of that. I'm telling you right now, if I walk out those doors and stub my toe and swear like a sailor, Jesus Christ is not going back on that cross. He's already been there. He's already done it. It's finished. It's done. And when it's done, he sat down in the heavenly realms for you and me. It's over. This is what Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 9. For Christ did not enter a man-made sanctuary that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven, the heavenly realms itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again the way the high priest used to do with blood that was not his own. But now he has appeared once for all at the end of this age to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Two things, Father God raised him from the dead and seated him. And because of that, we can claim the truth of 1 Corinthians that says, O oh death, where is your sting? Oh hell, where is your victory? We benefit from his resurrection. We can hold on to something that will never go away. And because of that, here's your point number one in your handout. You are complete. You are complete in Christ. You're done. You're complete. It's over. You already know how to ride a bike, right? Right? You may not have ridden in years, but I'll take you outside and give you a bike. I'll bet you can ride it. Even John. John can't even remember where he learned, but I bet you can ride a bike, right? It's done. You learned. It's over. It's finished. I don't have to teach you all over again. You already know how to do it. Same thing is true with Jesus. It's done. It's finished. He's seated with the Father. And guess what? So are you. Look ahead to Ephesians 2, which we'll cover in six months. And God raised us up with Jesus Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms of Christ Jesus. God raised us up and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. We are seated with Christ. I remember somebody saying once to me, I'm not a Christian, but I'm trying. I used to think that was good theology. Really? I was in college. That's cool. I can do what I want because I'm not a Christian, but I'm trying. Right? But it's not true. It's just not true. It's just something we say. See, we need to stop looking for that one thing that will complete us. Because we're already complete in Christ. Okay, stop looking for that one thing that's going to complete your life. Stop looking for that person to love. The money, the job, the fame, the status. What are you looking for? What are you looking for? Whatever it is. It's going to pale in comparison to what's going to last, that's Jesus Christ. If you can accept the fact that Jesus Christ died for you, was buried, and three days later rose from the grave, then you are already complete in Christ. You can't walk in here, raise your hand, say, he has risen, and then walk out of here unchanged. The resurrection changes everything. The resurrection changes everything. It has to. Otherwise, all you're doing is showing up and being nice. The resurrection changes everything because you are complete in him. Bob Dylan from the 60s. Remember Bob Dylan? Yeah. Who? Yep. Bob Dylan from the 60s who used to sing Blowing in the Wind because that's kind of the way his life was. Blowing in the wind. Until he finally met Jesus. And this is what he said happened. He said, one day Jesus tapped me on the shoulder and said, Bob, why are you resisting me? And I said, I'm not resisting you. And he said, you got going to follow me? And he said, I never thought about that. And he said, Bob, if you're not following me, you're resisting me. Paul came to remind the Ephesian church and us that Jesus has been raised from the dead. Maybe you don't believe that. If you don't, look at the facts. Josh McDowell set out to disprove two things, that Jesus ever said he was God and that Jesus ever rose from the dead. Listen, I'm a great arguer. I can argue anything, either side. I don't care. I just like to argue. Okay? I'm good at it. If you don't believe me, come home with me to my family at the dinner table. That's all we do. And my job is to push buttons and get my brother all riled up and upset. But that's what we do, right? We just argue about things. Okay? I'm a good arguer. If I set out to disprove something, I can do it right now. Josh McDowell spent years and years and years doing real research, not only with the Bible, but with historical documents, with visiting places, with interviewing people, years and years and years trying to disprove these facts. And he couldn't do it. He said, one night I leaned back in my chair and I said, he has risen. It was that simple. He has risen. He couldn't disprove it. He had to accept it. Maybe you can't accept it right now. I get that. I get that can't accept it right now in my life because of where I'm at or because of just I just don't want to accept it. I get that. I follow politics all over the country. In this last election cycle, I'm telling you, not one person I was pulling for, one. I follow governors and senators and people running for the House all over, different states all over. I get emails all the time. I'm reading them all the time. I'm really interested in that stuff. Not one person, not one Not one. initiative. One. I've got to tell you, I can't accept that. I know it's true, but it's just hard for me to accept. Maybe you're the same way with Jesus. I don't know, but I do know this. When you can say he was crucified for my sins, when you can say he was buried for me, when you can say he rose three days later for me, then you are complete. You're perfect. That's up to you. Verse 21, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Sitting in power, Jesus sits far above all rule and all authority. He sits above all power, all dominion, and he sits above every name, then, now, and forever. Let me ask you a question. What's your biggest problem right now? You have to say it. Just think about it. What's your biggest issue? You got one? If you don't, if you don't have one, ask your neighbor. I bet they have something they'd like to give you. Okay? You got one? Whatever it is, I don't know what it is, but whatever it is, I'll tell you this. It has a name to it. You can name it. And the name of Jesus sits above that name. It's the name above all names. He has been given authority over every name. Philippians 2 tells us this, Jesus says to us, or this is about Jesus, being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by being obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that, on the name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, for the glory of God the Father. So if point number one is, you are complete. Point number two goes with it, you have authority in Christ. Jesus has authority. We saw that, right? Well, if Jesus has authority, how does that translate to me, right? Look at Luke 10:19, and this is from the King James. Jesus says to you and me, Behold, I give unto you the power to tread on serpents and scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means harm you. Over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will hurt you. You have authority because Jesus has given you authority, his authority. Right? Bob, you ride a motorcycle, Right? You got a license? Yep. Yep. Gary, you got a license for riding a motorcycle? Riley, you got a motorcycle license? Yep. The state of Washington has given you authority to ride the motorcycle. They have the authority. They gave it to you. Right? Now you have the authority to ride your motorcycle. Just like that, Jesus has given us his authority. Imagine how much greater that is. Look at how much greater that is. His authority. They had it, he had it, and he gave it to you. And he's given us his word as a weapon to use. Doors are open and shut in the spiritual realm realm, by believers on earth speaking God's word. This is how we exercise the authority he's given us. And in Matthew 16, Jesus tells us, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. He's given us that authority that 's hard to accept isn 't it it 's hard to kind of realize that when I was in college. I applied for this job as a uh, as a resident aide, so you work in the dormitories, and your job is to plan activities and uh, kind of be there as a counselor for for students and to unlock their door because they always lock themselves out of their room right Do things like that and, and so I got hired to, to be in that position the next year and After I got hired, I started thinking, well, that's the easy part. The hard part is when I have to, like, break up a party and tell a bunch of guys, like, you you know, you guys need to put the beer down and get out, you know, and need to do that. And I was getting a little bit scared because how do you do that? So I asked this guy that was already in in the position. I said, Mike, what do you do when when you have to, like, do that, like break up a party or whatever? And he said, Pete, that's what he talked. Pete, just tell him to knock it off. And honestly, this is what I did. I said, Mike, you're six foot eight. You weigh 325 pounds. They're going to listen to you. He was a huge monster of a man. He said, Pete. Pete, he said, Pete, they'll listen to you, too. You have the authority. I didn't believe it. Just like some of you might not believe this today, right? You have the authority of Jesus. No, you do. I didn't believe it either. And then my first year, I, I have to come break up a fight. Big party going on, right? Lots of kids are drinking. There's a fight going on. They call me. I'm supposed to come out and break up the fight, right? It's like 10 kids watching. I mean, through the years, it's become 75 to 100, but it was thousands of people watching. <laughs> and there's a bunch of kids watching, right? And these two guys are going to fight. And I come out into the, onto this area where they are, and there's one over here and one guy over here. And they're yelling at each other, right? I'm going to bleep, bleep your bleep, bleep. And the other guy said, oh, yeah, well, bleep on the bleep. So, you know, so they were, like, going at each other with words. They wanted to fight each other. So I stood there. And they're still talking to each other. No, I had the authority, right? I just stood there. And so they step forward. They step up, right, to, like, get around me. So I stepped up. So they step back. So I step back. They step forward, so I said, okay, I can do this all night. I don't care. I'm on call. I'm here, so whatever. So finally they both go, forget it. They just walked away. They didn't even fight. I just stepped in with authority. That's all you have to do when Jesus is with you, just step in with authority. It's not you. It's the authority with you. Walk with authority. Step in with authority. So you are complete in Christ. You have authority in Christ. And point number three, you have purpose in Christ. You have a purpose in Christ. Look at verse 22. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church which is the body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. We're his church. We're the fullness of him, and we are called to purpose. We ride our bike with a purpose, right, for relaxation, to get somewhere, to get to work. We ride a bike with a purpose. Now we have to walk with a purpose, walk in Christ with a purpose. It's hard to imagine that when you don't feel like you have a purpose. So really the question is, what is God's plan and purpose for me? That's really the question. Like, I'll accept that I have a purpose, but honestly, what is it? I don't know what it is. You ever ask yourself that? If you're up here on the worship team, thank you. You're awesome. You're terrific. I'm glad you do that because I cannot do it. But that's not your purpose. If you're in salt leadership, you're awesome. Thank you, because I don't want to do it. (laughs) <laughs> no, it's true. I love you. I just don't want to work with you. So <laughs> I don't want to do it. I just, you know, same with the nursery. No, I'll take the kids, like sixth grade. I'll handle those guys, okay? That's more my style, see? But that's not your purpose. Me standing up here today is not my purpose. My purpose is found in Romans eight twenty nine. It says we are to be conformed to the image of Christ. That's our purpose. We think it's stuff. Oh, if I work hard enough, if I do enough things at the church, if I show up every day, we get so busy, we just lose sight of everything. We never take time to worship. We never take time to listen to God's Word. We never take time with God. We're just busy. And we put that label of of church on our, our chest, and we think that's our purpose. That's not your purpose. Your purpose is to be conformed to the image of Christ, not to stay so busy not to stay so active in the community, although that will be the result of it. But that's not it. What's your purpose? Micah, chapter 6, verse 8. Your purpose is to do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly with God. That's your purpose. That's how we become the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So, so far in this first chapter of Ephesians, we've learned that God is all about grace and peace, that we're blessed with every spiritual blessing, that we're chosen in Christ from beginning before the foundation of the world, that we're favored and that we're redeemed. And today we learn that we're complete in him, that we have authority in him, and that we have purpose in him. Can you accept it? That's the question. Let me call the worship team back up here as I close with this story. I didn't write it, but I thought it was a real good, real good conclusion here. And this is what it says. It says, at first I saw God as my observer, my judge, keeping track of the things I did wrong so as to whether no, as to know whether or not I merited heaven or hell. He was out there sort of like the president. I recognized his picture when I saw him, but I didn't really know him. But later on, when I recognized Jesus, it seemed as though life was rather like a bike ride. Hey, look how that all tied together. But it was a tandem bike, and I noticed that God was in the back helping me pedal. I don't know just when it was that he suggested that we change places, but life has not been the same since. Life with Jesus, that is. God makes life exciting, but when he took the lead, it was all I could do to hang on. He knew delightful paths up mountains and through rocky places and at breakneck speeds. Even though it looked like madness, he said, Pedal! I worried, and I was anxious, and I asked, where are you taking me? And he just laughed, and he didn't answer, and I learned how to trust. I forgot my boring life and entered into adventure. When I'd say I'm scared, he'd lean back and touch my hand. He took me to people with gifts that I needed, gifts of healing and acceptance, peace and joy, and so much more. They gave me their gifts to take on my journey, our journey, God's and mine. And we were off again. He'd say, give the gifts away. They're extra baggage, too much weight. So I did to the people we met, and I found that in giving I received. And our life and our burden became light. At first, I didn't, did not trust him in control of my life. I thought he'd wreck it, but he knows bike secrets, knows how to make it lean to take sharp corners, dodge large rocks, and speed through scary passages. And I'm learning to shut up and pedal in the strangest places. I'm beginning to enjoy the view and the cool breeze on my face, and my delightful constant companion. And when I'm sure I just can't do it anymore, he just smiles and says, Pedal with authority. So in Christ, you have authority, you are complete, and you have purpose, and God loves you. And if you have any doubt about any of that, I would love to pray with you after service. And so would other people. And if you don't know Jesus Christ, today's the day. Don't let today go by without accepting Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Will you do that? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much, Lord. We thank you for your, your word, Lord. We thank you for your truth, Father God. We thank you, Lord, that you are all in all, Lord. We thank you that you never change, that you are always there for us, Father God. And we may not get it all or understand it all, and it may be confusing, Father God, but, but you are right there, Lord. You will bring people into our lives. You will speak to us, Father God, through your word. And we just thank you, Lord. We thank you for all your blessings, Father. We thank you in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.